Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Welcome into another edition of Fizz 5. It is Monday, May 30th, Memorial Day. I'm Ethan Frank, and I am joined by the newest member of our Fizz team, Mr. Liam Griffin. LG, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Ethan. Look, last night was quite the roller coaster with my Boston Celtics, but now I get to talk about Syracuse athletics. This is going to be fun. Uh, it is absolutely great to have you on the team. So without further ado, let's get right into our Fizz 5, starting with number one. Number one. So number one this week, Liam, I think it has to be the quarterback situation for Syracuse football. You know, basketball, this is really the slow period. Lacrosse, that's over. Football, you know, we just got the news of a transfer quarterback coming in. We got the news of Justin Lampson's injury. What do you see in this quarterback room right now? Yeah, Ethan, like you mentioned, I mean, obviously Lampson is injured and obviously you have a lot of new faces coming in, but I think this is the deepest SU quarterback group we have seen in a long time because you have four, dare I say, five capable players that can go in and potentially win you a football game. Now, I'm not saying that it's fair to expect Jacoby and Morgan to go in and beat Notre Dame, but could he give you a solid performance? Why not? And then when you look at the new guys, Del Rio Wilson, Diari, Matthew, and then obviously you've got Schrader coming in as the returning starter, and Justin Lampson, who, despite his injury, played well in the spring game. So if he can stay healthy, this group is extremely deep. Yeah, I think this is a huge shot at Garrett Schrader. Personally, I think this is like, okay, Garrett, we saw that you have what it takes to, you know, potentially be a starter, but we really want to push you in training camp. And I think, you know, it is his job to lose. I I don't think there's anything around that, but, you know, Dan Valari, he really didn't do it for me. What we saw Jacoby and Morgan, we've seen two years of him. I'm not expecting a drastic improvement. I think it's coming from Wilson if there will be any competition because of Lampson's injury, but I still think this is Schrader's job, but I think this makes it a lot more interesting and is really, you know, a stray fired at Garrett Schrader. Like, Whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's still definitely Schrader's job to lose. And if we saw someone different under center against Louisville, my mind would be blown. But that being said, Schrader, I mean, yeah, he was solid, but he wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire as this is starting quarterback. Look, he was three and six had big wins against Liberty and Vod Tech. But fast forward a few weeks later to Louisville, he can't eclipse 100 total yards passing and rushing. So it's almost like playing with fire. And they got burned against Louisville. Didn't quite work out that way against those other teams, though. Yeah. So my question for you is, who do you think should be starting? I, I know you're obviously not at practice every day. Who do you think should be starting week one and why? Well, first of all, you can't prove I'm not at practice, but I'm not. Uh, if I were to say, like, gun to my head, Martian's pointing the death beam at us, Schrader starts week one. I mean, I, as impressive as Del Rio Wilson's recruiting profile is, I have a hard time thinking that the limited amount of time in summer ball is going to be enough for him to eclipse Garrett Schrader. That being said, 
if anyone does eclipse him, I think it's him. With the dynamic style that Robert and I and Jason Beck showed at Virginia last year, I think he is better suited than any of the other candidates to overtake Schrader if and when that day comes. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I, I think Del Rio Wilson will get a shot at some point during the season. I just don't see it happening week one. I think it is a really intriguing addition by Dino Babers and just something that is completely, completely out of the blue. I was sitting in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium uh, with a Fizz alum, Matt Bonaparte, when the, when this happened, and he was uh, he was shook out of his shoes <laughs> when the uh, the news popped across the timeline. But just because the news just came absolutely out of nowhere, um, I think it is interesting. You know, maybe we see him in different packages coming in for Schrader at some points, but Schrader's an injury prone guy with his style of play as well because of you know his running back like tendencies. So I think that'll be re- really interesting. But I think that's really all we can say on the Syracuse and quarterbacks at I this point. Ethan, I think that's important is that which quarterback meshes with the receivers better. Like I didn't see a lot out of Schrader meshing with a Damian Alford or a Courtney Jackson last year. If Del Rio Wilson comes into camp and they're meshing just like that, then it could be, it could be a competition gone done early. That's a really interesting point. I, I like that. Um, but I think that's all we've got on the Syracuse quarterbacks. Let's move on to topic number two. Number two. I'll let you take the reins on this one, Liam, because we had a bit of a, a of conflicting <laughs> viewpoints on, on this topic. So what are we talking about here yes, with number two? Yeah, so we're going to break down Syracuse basketball's non-conference schedule at this point. Now, Ethan and I wrote conflicting posts about what we want to see out of the non-conference schedule. I'm in favor of a tough one. Ethan is not. So as of right now, Syracuse has scheduled Lehigh, Colgate, and Oakland with Bryant rumored as well. Now, in terms of who else you can expect down the line, obviously you've got the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You've got the Empire Classic Thanksgiving week with Old Big East friend St. John's, among others. And then in terms of who else, you can safely assume Georgetown and Cornell. But in terms of who else, Drexel's not going to excite you. That being said, I don't want them to schedule Candace or Gonzaga, but why not a high major, right? It doesn't have to be a top-tier one, but, you know, Pull a friend from the Big 12, see if they're interested in playing. Because a weak non-conference schedule is not going to prepare the freshmen for ACC play. It just your your logic just doesn't make any sense. One, have you watched how Jim Beheim has coached, has scheduled for the last 45 years? Yeah, yes, because I he, have. And I yes, I have, and I don't like it. Okay. Well, guess what? It has worked. Uh number two, playing against Colgate versus playing against Texas Tech really won't make that much of a difference when you're going up against Virginia Tech. It it really just won't. It's one game. Okay, it'll be somewhat of a learning experience, but it really won't make that much of an impact because you see what wins and confidence does more than losses. Look at Syracuse's last year in the non-conference. This team, obviously they lost to Colgate. They're going to play Colgate every year. That was an aberration. But look at the, the demoralizing losses they had. Those two games in the Bahamas where, you know, against VCU, they could not score. And against Auburn, they could not get a stop. And then you have, you know, Villanova, you blow a lead. Georgetown, you blow another lead. And this team just ran out of gas early in the season in a lot of games because they had no depth. Next year's team has a lot more depth. So maybe they are better. 
So maybe they're better equipped to face those teams, but they have zero experience in any of those type of games. I think it is a much better strategy to, to ease into the schedule because that is what Jim Beheim has done. I put it in my article, all the non-conference strength of schedules on Jim Beheim's teams over the last five seasons are in the triple digits. Last year, it was in the double digits, and guess what happened? He had his first losing season as Syracuse's head coach. So, Jim, stick with the you know easy non-conference because that's what's going to end up getting you a better record to get in the tournament. All right, now I want to clarify it. I'm not saying Syracuse should only schedule high majors in their non-conference schedule. I think that's a little ridiculous, as most people do. But my thing with this is that I mean, you make really good points, but in addition to getting the young guys ready, think of it from a marketing perspective. Think of TV revenue. Think of ticket sales. That excites no one. And I mean, you said ease, you said Syracuse traditionally eases into its ACC schedule with non-conference games. You mean, why not backload the non-conference schedule because they would have entered ACC play with Lehigh and Cornell last year if it weren't for the COVID pauses they ended up entering with Brown and Cornell not much of a big difference so I just want to see a tougher opponent directly before ACC play you know maybe schedule the Georgetown game as the last game before ACC play Georgetown is terrible they're terrible Georgetown was terrible last year I'm, I'm aware it's it may be the only high major SU plays. Uh, I lied because of the Big Ten. So they'll have two. If you whatever have Big Ten, so if you have the ACC, opponent. you have the Big Ten opponent. You have ACC, two Big games. Ten. You have two games at Thanksgiving, and you have Georgetown. That's four. That's four. Okay, and you want more, more than that? More. You want more? I want one more. I want one more. It's just unnecessary. It's just unnecessary. It's it three. is. But like, what? What is like? What is the gain out of losing by fifteen? Well, but say say that. SU's Big Ten challenge is against Northwestern. You cannot. But, sit here and but they me. they you don't do that. They don't do that. They don't do that. They really only schedule games against you know more even teams. They really do. If you look at the history of who Syracuse has played, it's been against teams that are of similar stature to them. They're not going to put them against a you know a Minnesota, a Northwestern. Yeah, and I know I know fellow Fizzer Ian Unsworth told me a few weeks ago, Michigan is potentially in the cars. What would you think about that? Uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, interesting information from Ian. They played Michigan back in the, in 2014, the fall of 2014. That was actually a really good game uh, out in Ann Arbor. So that'd be interesting. It was a uh, 2013 final four rematch. So right. yeah. that would be an interesting game. Without, without question. All right. I mean, I see your point to put a cap on this topic. Okay. I definitely see your Wrap it up point. like a present. Yeah, of course. Uh, happy Merry Christmas, by the way. I just want to see a little more zing or pet. It doesn't have to be a tough opponent. Maybe someone that will excite. And to their credit, Doug Eddard and Bryant will do exactly that. All right. Whatever you, whatever you say, <laughs> LG. All right, let's move on to topic number three. Number three, our third topic today here on Fizz Five, we're going to be switching over back to the field, talking a little bit of lacrosse, you know, bringing some transfers in Gary Gate. He's lost some guys. He's bringing some guys in. I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an expert on all these players. That's what John Eads is for. He'll uh, he'll break it all down for you on orangefizz.net, our website. Uh, Ethan Frank and Liam Griffin here on Fizz Five this week. But Syracuse lacrosse, they're bringing in some transfers. 
And, uh, yeah. and that can't be anything but a good thing, Liam. Yeah, Ethan. And, and it's a good thing because the main problem with this team last year and it showed when countless guys went down was depth. Let's be real. The majority of Syracuse lacrosse this season was Tucker Dordovic, Brendan Curry, and occasionally Owen Siebold trying to carry this team to victory. And more often than not, it didn't work because your, your Mikey Berkmans, your Jackson Burt whistles were super inconsistent. I mean, we didn't really see consistent depth scoring until Burt Whistle went on his hot streak at the end of last season. Obviously losing Dordovic hurts, but you bring in Alex Simmons, who played with Owen Hiltz back in high school. Then you bring in Cole Kirst, who had two hat tricks last year, so he can provide some depth scoring as pieces to back up the alpha males that are Hiltz and Joey Spolina, the top recruit in the country. So that, that was the issue with Syracuse last year. It wasn't balanced whatsoever. I think these two pieces start to help us build that. Like, I feel like it's hard to get excited when your best player leaves. Like, you're yeah. not going to replace Tucker Dorovic. And then it stings even more when he goes to Georgetown. It's, it is really, really, it really hurts. Like, badly. Like, pouring salt in an open wound hurts, I I, I feel like. Um, you know, Simmons may be great. Like, I, I just... It's really hard to get excited right now about anyone that Gary Gate could possibly bring in because of what you already lost. You know, you lose Berkman, you lose Corsi. Those are three guys who contributed on this year's team. And I know this team was not good. Their record was not good. They ended the season terribly, but there's, they still played and they still gave you some sort of value. and, And I don't think you're replacing that. And I think it's hard to get excited about this team, period, putting aside the fact that Dordovic is gone. This team went 4-10 and 10 last year, the worst season in program history. They lost to Albany on the road, who lost to UMBC a few days later. This lacrosse season was might be the most disappointing SU athletics season in the past five years. And that's, combating, and that's including this past basketball season, too. It was that bad. The hype surrounding Gary Gate was that high. So at this point, I mean, you got to do whatever you can to try and get this program back on the map. And, you know, Simmons and Kirst aren't exactly alpha males, but they'll get you on the right path. What's the next position SU should target in the portal? Goalie. Goalie, without question. Bobby Gavin and Harrison Thompson are not going to get the job done consistently. And that was proven this year. Look. Bobby Gavin was lights out against Duke. The next week, he gets pulled in the first quarter against Notre Dame. And then as for Harrison Thompson, I haven't seen enough of him to know that he is a capable, consistent starting goalie. And the times he did play last year, he wasn't exactly impressive either. All right. I think that's going to wrap up our last talk, unless you have anything to finish that out. Liam, we need Syracuse needs another goalie, according to Liam Griffin. All right, so let's move on. They desperately need one. All right, so let's move on to number four. Number four. Our fourth topic of the week, I wrote a piece on this last Friday, and that is Syracuse's NBA draft hope. So the Orange, they had some – Elijah Hughes was drafted in 2020, but before that, not a single player drafted since 2017, 
Buddy Beheim, Cole Swider, Jimmy Beheim, all, you know, entering the draft. Buddy Beheim was at the G League Elite Combine. Cole Swider has worked out for a couple of teams, including the Lakers. Liam, do you see anyone getting drafted or, or, or latching on with any NBA teams? Well, first of all, Cole Swider in a Lakers uniform would hurt my heart tremendously. And to, But to answer your question, I don't see anyone getting drafted. Look, I mean, Buddy, yeah, he had an impressive performance at G League camp, but didn't get an invite to the Combine, right? So if anyone is going to get drafted out of that class, it's Buddy. He's your best bet. If it's going to happen, it's going to be late in the second round. The name brand plus his March Madness performance back in 2021 could lead some teams to make that pick. I mean, we've seen high-profile college players get drafted, even if they're not NBA-ready, a la Luka Garza with the Detroit Pistons not playing a single minute. If Cole Swider is going to make the NBA, and Coach Beheim talked about this a lot last year, he has to get more aggressive. He has to be better inside the three-point arc. Because don't get me wrong, he's a fantastic three-point shooter, but that's really all he's got. I mean, we haven't seen him display those flashes with the exception of maybe the North Carolina game this past year. So, yeah, he's solid, but not NBA-ready. Maybe a few years in the G League or overseas do the trick, but at this point in time, Cole Swider is not NBA-ready. And to be honest, neither is Buddy Beheim. I think they're both G League-bound. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I agree. I do think they're both G League men. And I happen to think Swider has a better chance of succeeding in the NBA just based on his his physical attributes. He's longer. He's taller. He's more athletic. He, he's a better defender. And, and that is not to say he is a good defender. That is not even to say he is an average defender. But Buddy is not as that poor of a defender and not and that of a lesser athlete that I think Swider has a chance to succeed with good coaching, better physical conditioning, and learning man-to-man principles. Uh, like he did at Villanova. So I think Swider is a better chance. Just like if 6'9 versus 6'6, six, six, you're going to have a better chance if you're 6'9. Yeah. It's simple math. Also, Swider's peaks were higher than Buddy's peaks. I don't think we ever saw Swider single, or excuse me, I don't think we ever saw Buddy single handedly carry a team to overtime against the team that ended up losing in the national championship. Game. The Indiana game was the a pretty big statement from Buddy. The Indiana and, game and last year's NCAA Buddy, tournament but, and last year's NCAA tournament. But is that better or is, are those individual performances better than Swider's individual performance against North Carolina? Personally, I don't think so. That being said, Buddy did do it on a much more consistent level. And I think that's where he kind of has an edge in terms of getting to the NBA. And the thing about the NBA is that it's built around the three point shot. Like, there's a reason Golden State is back in the finals, Steph Curry. So NBA teams are because the Mavericks stop making it's because the Mavericks stopped making their threes. Well, that too. But the NBA, NBA teams in short are desperate for three-point shooters. So that's where yes. they can really boost their stock. Because when I look at Apollo Ben Caro, he's not a great three-point shooter. Buddy Beheim and Cole Swider are great three-point shooters when they are up. 
Yeah, you know, like, okay, great, buddy. You made 73s again in a row against no defense. Congratulations on making, you know, 73s in a row. Like, that's just – that doesn't happen in the NBA, okay? Workouts are great. You know, testing is great. But I need to see it against real competition. They played well in the G League elite scrimmage. But I think yeah. not getting that bump up to the NBA main combine really hurt him in the eyes of evaluators because they just didn't get to see him – against comparable peers and you know while his dad may have a lot of connections and the name recognition that will also be held against him because you know you look at Syracuse his best players in the NBA it's Mello it's Jeremy Grant and that's about it like if you look at all the guys that have gone into the league you know Dion flamed out it, it just has not been and he was their highest traffic it, it has not been good um, in terms of Syracuse's NBA success so, you know, I think they'll get a shot, but I, I don't really know what that shot will turn into. Uh, here's my question for you. Over under 50 NBA games for Buddy Beheim, over under five for Cole Slider. 50? And that could just be appearing for one second in that a could game. Just be appearing, that could just be appearing for one second in garbage time. Okay. That's a lot of games. That's over half a season. Yep. Yep. I'm going to say under. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say under. I'll say over for Swider. Like, I think he gets a shot to play. Like, you know, what if he ends up on the Thunder? Like, he could end up, he could end up on a rebuilding team and get, you know, get some minutes. Yeah. Uh, or, so, do, you know, so take, the, take the, take the O'Shea Brissett route and, you know, yeah, work your yeah. way up and turn into a valuable role player. But, mm-hmm. I, I don't see Buddy playing more than 50 games unless he really transforms his body and becomes a better defender. Yeah, he also yeah, he needs to get bigger, needs to become a better defender. And if you were to ask, if you wanted an on-the-spot answer, where do Buddy and Swider end up this fall? They are both playing in the G League. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. All right. So let's move on to our fifth and final topic here today on Fizz 5. Number five. All right, Liam. We've done football. We've done basketball. We did lacrosse. We did basketball again. Let's go back to the gridiron to end this edition of Fizz Five. I want your biggest question, your most significant thing that you're thinking of regarding Syracuse football as we head into the summer. All right. Well, obviously. There's the who's the starting quarterback question, but we hit on that yeah, earlier. Yeah. So I'm just going to that aside. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of quarterbacks. That's outside of quarterbacks. I think the biggest thing going into this is who's the wide receiver one? Who is Garrett Schrader's top target? Sean Tucker is only going to do so much. Defenses are going to game plan for him. They weren't game planning as much last year, but now that they know he's a Heisman candidate, it's not going to be as easy for him next year. I'm sorry. It's true. So is it Damian Alford? Is it Courtney Jackson? Is it some other guy that we haven't heard of off the street? That to me is the most pressing question right now because a great wide receiver can elevate Schrader's game a lot and hereby elevate Syracuse's team a lot. And their schedule isn't exactly easy this year, Ethan. So finding a true wide receiver one can really – blossom this team's expectations for the better yeah 
<laughs> the schedule is nothing short of, uh, of really, really difficult. For me, it's the defensive line. I did this exercise with John Eads a couple weeks ago. Liam, can you name me three Syracuse defensive linemen? <laughs> Does Mikael Jones count? Nope, that's a linebacker. I don't think I can. Yeah. It, how did how they, did Jeets do a few weeks ago? He well, he asked me, and I could only name one, and that was Caleb Okachukwu. That was it. That and that was it. The defensive line room on this team is so sparse. People are going to be able to run all over the front of Syracuse's defense. And while they do have a good linebacker room with Marlo Wax, Michael Jones, Stefan Thompson, and then the secondary is good. The defensive front has lost everything. No Roscoe, no Jonathan, no Williams. I mean, it is a sparse, sparse, empty room, and I am really worried for how it's going to hold up against big teams. Yeah, I think that you asking me that question said it all. I, I couldn't name a single defensive lineman on this team now that Roscoe and Jonathan are – Hadn't at the door. They're not walking through that door anymore, my friend. So, I yeah, the defensive line situation is a disappointing one, especially when you consider the talent in the defensive backs room. Like, they were one of the best units in the ACC last year. And obviously, you've got Mikel Jones leading the linebacker core. He's one of the best linebackers in the entire country. So, the back seven is doing its part, but is the D-line going to come through? And with that, is the white receiver room going to come through because ever since Taj Harris left, no one has broken out. Yeah. I think those are the two position groups to monitor defensive line and wide receivers. As we approach June 1st. Wow. This year oh. is completely flying by. It is almost summertime, but don't worry. Fizz five will be with you every single week. Liam, any departing thoughts before we head out? Uh I hope Syracuse schedules the University of Texas at Austin. And I'm only saying that because their football stadium is right down the road from me right now. Okay. Uh, Liam is in Austin. Thank you for letting everyone know. Uh, once again, once again, welcome to the team. We are so glad to have you. It's been great to have you be with you on this edition of Fizz Five. But that's all we First got. Of many. First of many. First of money is right. That's all we've got for this week. We'll be back next week with a new episode talking all the new recent developments with all the Syracuse sports teams. So for Liam Griffin, I'm Ethan Frank, and we'll catch you next week. And that's your Fizz Five. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.